How has Colombia's new police patrolling program impacted criminal activity in the region? What are the potential implications of the model for other countries seeking to mitigate crime rates? From the Chicago Policy Review and the University of Chicago, this is Chicago Policy Radio. I'm your host, Lindsay Hearn. Today we're talking with Dr. Daniel Ortega, a senior research economist at CAF and an associate professor at IESA Business School in Venezuela about Colombia's new policing strategy introduced by the National Police. It's great to have you here, Dr. Ortega. Thank you. So I was wondering if you could offer some background information on crime rates and trends in Colombia in recent years. Well, as um, some of you, well, I don't know if you know, but um, uh, people who who are interested in Latin America definitely know that the region is the most violent region in the world. Uh, It's famous for being the most unequal, but it's also famous for being the most violent. Colombia in particular has a very long history of um, of very uh, drug-related violence. But there is also um, a significant amount of the violence that is uh, not drug-related. It's more, more uh, of an urban crime kind of uh, phenomenon. And even though over the last several years uh, crime and violence have, have fallen in Colombia thanks to uh, some of the government's efforts uh, uh, to f- fight the drug uh, trade, um, it is still quite high uh, homicide rates in uh, in 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 Colombia in some of the cities like for example Cali has homicide rate of 70 per 100,000 people which is uh, amazingly high for any uh, by any standard Um, that is mostly concentrated in poorer areas in these cities so high concentration of population um, poverty uh, are are criminogenic environments that uh, right now result in very significant uh, levels of, of urban violence. Could you maybe describe some of the specifics uh, and objectives of the PNBCC plan uh, and also some of the outcomes attributable to the implementation of the plan? Well, the plan is, a, um, a given this background uh, on um, on persistently high um, urban crime in Colombia, the the government, the, the national police actually uh, implemented a um, a police reform plan, which is called the the Plan Nacional de Vigilancia Comunitaria por Cuadrantes, which is in short is Plan Cuadrantes, uh, which essentially uh, divides up the territory in each of the cities in those small geographical areas and assigns a six police officers to that area there um, uh, so that's one part of it the 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 assigning of police officers to very small geographical areas before they had large patrol beats which is shown to be less effective in terms of, of crime control now the other important aspect of the plan there there are many details but the other very important aspect is the community policing aspect 
which is uh, basically the requirement that these six police officers engage the community more, have contact with the education sector, with the business sector, and uh, by doing this, they they not only would improve uh, the people's perception uh, about the police, but they're also their their sense of security and also uh, their willingness to cooperate with the police in problem solving, not only uh, related to 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 crime, uh, to to sort of to have information about uh, about criminals or that kind of thing. So so not only in investigation and intelligence kind of work, but mostly for prevention, uh, which is where the bulk of the sort of the effort of this plan um, uh, is seeking to so to go in the in the future is to towards prevention. So to what extent do you think the efficacy and the success of the plan hinged on reshaping cultural attitudes towards policing and crime and collaboration with police efforts? Well, actually, this is really um, one of the main findings of, of this paper is precisely that the um, because changing the way the, the daily routines of the police uh, is actually a fairly complex thing. It's, it involves a significant organizational change. Um, a police officer not accustomed to doing this, um, to talking to people, for instance, uh, needed um, much more than just an order uh, or a set of instructions on what to do. They also needed uh, training. They needed some preparation in order to be able to n know how to engage people, how to uh, help people in problem solving and and so an important part of the implementation of the plan was a training program in soft skills that included uh, you know efforts uh, uh, to improve uh, teamwork um, uh, negotiation skills and the like and this actually improved significantly uh, the police officers relationship with the community so we have evidence that they actually talk to people more they get out of the patrol car more and engage the community more and this has uh, improved their um, sense of, of their feeling of responsibility towards the community so we identify a significant effect on a crime in very high crime areas thanks to the fact that the police by engaging with the community more feel more responsible towards the community feel more accountable towards the community and therefore we believe they are uh, putting more effort into uh, crime control and therefore uh, reducing crime in quite significantly in very high crime areas could you maybe describe more specifically the you know the link between the better training and then the lower incidence of criminal activity. So would the link be then their commitment to help this community that leads there to be a lower observed in incidence of crime or? Well, just, just think about it this way. If um, there is a literature on restorative justice that uh, basically, uh, it's a very extensive literature, but one a uh, specific instance that is, a, I think, an interesting example is when you put a criminal and uh, his victim together and face-to-face -face and have them talk things over, 
um, the criminal, the, the reoffending rate of the criminal is, has been shown in experimental studies to go way, way down. So why is it, what's going on in people's mind, the, in the, or in the criminal's mind, once the criminal uh, has some contact, has some relationship with his victim, he sort of feels or understands uh, sort of the human side of, of his actions, you know, the consequences of his actions. So if you translate that to um, a public servant, in this case the police officer, he is actually uh, engaging with the people who he, who he is serving. And in some way he is n therefore much more aware of the way in which his job, his doing it more or less effectively, affects people's lives and now he knows those people and so therefore he feels more responsible towards uh, his effect or the, the consequences of his actions on their well-being. And that's, uh, this is our sort of explanation of, of the finding uh, that basically police uh, exert more effort in doing their job better because they feel more accountable to the population uh, and this comes about uh, from an interaction with the community. Uh, and so basically they police more effectively and by policing more effectively, they, so they're present there more effectively, they, they, so um, they target the criminals in a more efficient way or uh, they do other things that deter criminals from, from engaging in their activities and therefore crime goes down. So kind of putting PNVCC in the context of other anti-crime measures that have been implemented in the past, what do you think distinguishes PNVCC? Um, is it this, this focus on cultural attitudes and this training? And how do you think that could maybe be implemented in other regions? Um, well, Latin America has gone through, has a, some experience with the police reform. So police reform has, uh, since the 90s actually, the early 90s, you see in many countries a movement toward, from uh, mostly militaristic structures, very um, focused on control of crime and, and the punitive aspect of policing. Um, towards more decentralized and civil structures that care more for um, human rights and that also have a focus on prevention of crime. So the, I think this, the distinctive feature of this specific program uh, with respect to the, to the others is that it combines some of the elements of community policing which uh, have been implemented elsewhere, but not tied into a more focused, um, uh, geographically focused, I mean, policing uh, strategy. You know, so it has the control part, but it also has the sort of prevention kind of community uh, aspect to it. And so, so this combination is really important. Uh, there is a, a, a program, a similar program in, in Chile, 
called the Cuadrantes program also in uh, from the Carabineros. And um, th that has been in place for, for a long time. Uh, although it's a little bit different, it's, it's, it has significant similarities. Now, I think the greatest um, contribution of the national, the Colombian National Police in this instance is uh, their openness to being evaluated by external and independent uh, academics, uh, which is something very new in the region. This is actually the first time um, a police agency in Latin America opens itself up to to a randomization of part of their intervention in order uh, to get a, a credible evaluation. And this is very important because it will have a snowball effect in the region in terms of creating knowledge, useful knowledge, for uh, doing better police work. Because maybe this works very well in Colombia. Uh, it may not work so well in, other, in a different place because you need a, a very organized and professional hierarchical structure in order for this to be adequately implemented. If you have a m much more decentralized and atomized uh, police structure, then it may be more difficult to coordinate the way you divide up the city into cuadrantes. And so the important thing is that police agencies are willing to learn about how to do uh, their work. And this is what some people are calling, some very important people in criminology calling evidence-based policing, just like evidence-based policy in general. In this case, it would be evidence-based policing. So after studying the program and its effects, would you have any recommendations for the program going forward? Um, well, we're actually working now uh, with the police to try to, uh, to better evaluate if we can improve the actual policing strategy within the Cuadrante. Um, and this is in the realm of what we call hot, what well, not we call, I mean, it's in the literature called hotspots policing. Uh, we are uh, currently designing an experiment to, to evaluate the effectiveness of hotspots policing strategies over places, not only hotspots, which is what already exists in the literature. People have evaluated the effect on hotspots. So what we want to, and the question there is whether a crime gets displaced to other places while you target some hotspots and then uh, maybe other places uh, crime increases. So at the area level, you don't know exactly what happens. So some people argue that crime doesn't really go down, it just gets moved around. Um, and so this is something that we're trying to wor work with the police uh, to, to implement um, an experiment to, to see if we can um, show whether hotspots policing strategies can improve uh, crime in areas and not only in the hotspots. And this is, of course, tied into uh, their strategy of targeting high crime areas. So it's, uh, it's sort of, it would be a small improvement in the way their patrolling is, is done. And then we're also looking at, um, at increasing and improving and sustaining their training um, the police forces training on these soft skills and so maintaining this uh, uh, sort of educational, long-term educational program uh, for police officers. All right. Well, Dr. Ortega, thank you for being with us today. Well, thank you very much for the invitation.
Thank you so much for listening to Chicago Policy Radio, a production of the Chicago Policy Review and the Harris School of Public Policy at the University of Chicago. Our podcast is produced and edited by Lindsay Hearn and Drew Blacker. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ryan Gee. Special thanks this week to Anna Aguilera and Mike Reddy. You can find us at www.chicagopolicyreview.org and on iTunes or email us at media at chicagopolicyreview.org. Thanks for listening and join us next time.